Well, we are over in the book of Ephesians. We're not getting real far again tonight. We're just taking on each of these uh, pieces of armor. Last time we covered verse 14 and looked at two pieces of the armor. The belt of truth was one. Looking at how the enemy is trying to undergird us by first off challenging truths that we know or keeping us from learning new ones. And we looked at examples in the Bible when this when it occurred with people where they were challenged in the truths that they already knew to, well, is that really so? Is it really that way? And we saw how that made them vulnerable to attacks. But for those who did not give into it and stuck to the truth that they knew, they stood against the enemy and the enemy couldn't make any advances that way. So the belt of truth was one that kind of held all, as far as the Roman soldier was concerned, held everything together. And the truth that we know in God's Word holds everything together. So as the belt of truth was one, we had the breastplate of righteousness was the other. And how our understanding of righteousness gives us access to the Father. It changes the way that we pray. It changes the way that we operate. And our understanding of this needs to be intact because the enemy can undergird this and get people into religion get people out of the, uh, or into their own righteousness, we saw that the, Jesus didn't look at this too kindly. That our righteousness, as the Word of God tells us, is as filthy rags. Jesus kicked people out of the feast because they didn't have the robe on that they were supposed to, that robe of righteousness. So if the enemy can undergird us in the truth that we know, if he can undergird us in the righteousness that is of God and put us into another righteousness, then he has taken off part of the armor. The armor is not us physically putting it on in the morning, morning, the armor is upon us, and we need to take it off in order to be vulnerable to the enemy. But the goal is, don't take it off. Leave it on. Grow into a greater understanding of what righteousness does for you. Grow into a greater understanding of the Word of God so that the knowledge of God protects us. So now we're on to the, the third piece that's spoke, been spoken of here. In verse 15, and if you missed any of that last week, it's all up there on the Internet. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we've abbreviated this and just called it the shoes of peace. It's well known as, as that. It calls uh, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace or ha having uh, put on the gospel of peace here. So we want to take a look at this. That first off, that the purpose of the armor is, is told by Satan because we are wise, we are aware of the schemes of the devil. That he comes after us and there are certain tactics that he does. If we look through history, we see that the Greeks, when they went out to war, had a certain tactic that they fought their enemy with. The Romans had another tactic. That each, each one had a different way of, of fighting, a different way of going in, a certain way that they approached the battle. And this devil has a certain way that he approaches the battle. He has a signature way. And he says, this is, this is what works, this is what we do. And until people you know, show him that he needs to do another way, he's going to keep on going that way. He only has so many weapons, but we have armor that protects us against all of them. Now, the emphasis here in Ephesians is not that we understand each piece of the Roman armor. The emphasis is that we understand what the armor that we are given is, because the armor that we are given is specifically designed to fight against the tactics, the schemes of the devil. It is specifically designed for that. The Romans had specifically designed armor for the foes they faced in that day. They did not have specifically designed armor to fight foes from years back. They did not have specifically designed armor to fight foes in years ahead. They had armor for what was that day. And that the Romans lasted a long time. I believe it was 1,400 plus years that the empire lasted. Over that time, their enemies changed. And over that time, their swords changed, their spears changed, their shields changed. They changed their armor to accommodate the enemies that they faced. Our armor has been specifically designed to protect us from the enemy that we face. We don't need a helmet. We don't need a breastplate. We don't need a shield. We don't need a sword. We need specifically designed armor to face our foe. Because our foe is not flesh and blood, as the Word tells us. Our foe is spiritual. And the armor that we have is there to fight spiritual battles. Again, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says, finally, my brethren. And he says this in such a way as to bring attention 
that if you don't get anything else of all the stuff that we covered here in chapters 1 through 5, of course, he didn't write it in chapters, but we look at it that way. If you don't get any of that, get this. This is extremely important because the enemy wants to undergird you. Now, the schemes of the enemy are of such to get us to a place where peace is a part of the army, or part of the armor that we have. In Philippians 4, verse 6 and 8, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Does that sound like a spiritual weapon? Is it not guarding something? That's, a, that's certainly a weapon. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there are any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Well, if I am meditating on these things, am I not in a place of peace? If I'm meditating on things other than this, I'm probably not in a state of peace like I would be if I was meditating on these things. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. How do you put on the shoes of peace? Do you get up in the morning and strap on a figurative set of shoes? That doesn't put it on, does it? What puts it on? Be anxious for nothing. If I refuse to become anxious for whatever it is that comes against me, what have I done? The, the, the shoes of peace are intact. I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily putting it on for that, but I'm not taking it off. If I become anxious, if a situation presents itself for me and I become anxious, what have I done with the armor that I have? I've took it off. It? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So instead of being anxious for it, I need to come to God by prayer. And prayer should be a prayer of faith if it's for things or prayer according to, and he's going to get into different types of prayers. We get on into this. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So that's how I go. I have an attitude of thanksgiving. With prayer and supplication, I make my request known to God, and I become anxious for nothing. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. That's how I keep this armor intact. And so if you are the enemy, and this person has on these incredible pair of shoes... And you need to get these shoes off. Now, if you ever heard the Roman soldier's shoes described, the Roman soldier's shoes were not just, you know, really good pair of Nikes. The Roman soldier's shoes were actually a weapon. There were spikes in the bottom. They not only gave you more traction, but if you knocked the enemy down, you didn't have to go down with your sword and kill him. You just step on him. You would kill him. They were spikes that would kill. And so when you talk, the Word of God talks about trampling the enemy, what do you think they have in, in mind? The Roman soldier trampling the enemy with these shoes. That's, it's part of their armor. The, these are not shoes that you would wear all the time. These are shoes that you wore in battle. These were battle shoes. I'm sure that they had shoes for standing guard because in the street, they're not the best place to, to be having these things. Anybody ever wear spikes for any kind of athletic event? You know, and you have all kinds of spikes. You have football spikes. You have track spikes. You have soccer spikes. I've worn quite a few of them, soccer spikes, you know, they have little plastic, they're about a, well, about a half inch, half inch or so, and, uh, and they're made for that. Football spikes can be all kinds of stuff, and it depends on what kind of uh, uh, terrain you're going to be on. If you're on AstroTurf, well, you don't have spikes, you have a certain type of sneaker that's made to grab hold of AstroTurf because spikes would get tangled and would really give you a problem with your ankles. You don't want to do that. If you go into a field that's real turf, well, okay, then we want these kind of spikes. But then if, if it's a, a, a kind of turf that maybe it's real wet, well, we have to change those spikes out. We've got to change and go with something else. So a traveling football team will have all kinds of shoes at the ready for what they're going to face out in there. Now, track spikes are completely different. Track spikes are metal. They're pointy. They are the most uncomfortable ungodly shoes you would ever buy. They are horrible. I've run in these things. They are absolutely terrible. You put them... If you ever watched this, the guys who run track, you ran track. If you ever watched people run track, you put them on before the race, you take them off after the race because you don't want them on your feet any longer than they have to be. They are horrible shoes. They are designed for one thing and one thing only. And that is to get you to zero to 60 fast and get you through the race. That race might be a 100-yard race. 
That might be a 200-yard race. It might be something. And each bike is different depending upon the length of the race. And also depending upon the course that you're on. The type, because there's all kinds of tracks that you can be on. And so the spikes have to be tailored to that. And you can actually unscrew the spikes in the shoes and put in the correct spikes for what you're, what you're looking at. And so you have all these things at your disposal when you show up, but they are the most uncomfortable things. They are designed, and you may be able to, I know when I did this, they are designed to go. They are not designed for stopping. They are horrible stopping shoes. If you ever watch the guys that are in the, in the sprints and they take this long run to slow down, you want to know why? Because those shoes are not made to break. They are absolutely terrible. If you try and break real, real quick on those things, they will hurt your feet. They hurt your feet anyway. But they are great for getting you going in the race. And so you put up with all this stuff. You spend all kinds of money on these horrible shoes that you would only wear for the event. And that's it. You just put them on there and you go. They're terrible shoes. If you ever see a guy out there in a the track field, just say, oh man, I feel sorry for his feet. Because you know, it's, it's, it's nasty stuff out there. But they're designed for a specific purpose. The peace that we have been given from God is designed for a specific purpose. Use it the way it's supposed to be used. It is designed for the traction that you're going to need in this life. For this. So when he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You need to do it as he says it. When we had a coach in track... And, you know, I'm not a track guy. I'm a cross-country guy. And we, we had to run track. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have. I did not like track. I, I did a couple of sprints. I think one year I tried out sprinting. Just, I don't know why. I did it. I'm generally a more of a long-distance person. But uh, we were required as part of the cross-country team. We were the backbone of the track team. I'm not saying I was the backbone of the track team. I'm saying the cross-country team. <laughs> the backbone of the track team. They had, the, they had all the, the good runners. I wasn't blessed with as much speed as a lot of those were, so I was in the, the long-distance stuff. And on a track, it's just no fun. Go over to uh, Jeremiah chapter 17. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. We cannot make the weapons of our warfare flesh. Flesh cannot be our strength. They are spiritual in nature whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places of the wilderness in a salt land where there, which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and, he, and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor cease from yielding fruit. I want you to look at a couple of words here. First off, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He will not fear. He will not fear when heat comes and will not be anxious. Fear, trust, and anxious. These are all part of the shoes of peace. These are all part of what God has given us as far as peace is concerned. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, we'll get back to here, Jeremiah. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So we are not to be mindful of flesh things. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is... So if I adopt, the, get my mind set on the things of the flesh, I'm going in the direction of death. If I put my mind on the things of the Spirit, I put my direction in the things of life. So if you are the enemy, what do you want to do with your mind? I have to get you distracted onto things of the flesh. If I get you distracted on things of the flesh, if I get you to think on things of the flesh, I move you from a direction of life into a direction of death. Isn't that what the enemy wants to do? He wants you, as his enemy, to die. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 7 again. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. The law of God says, be anxious for nothing. nothing. It talks about us not having fear. It talks about us trusting God. These are the laws of God. The one who is set on the things of the flesh does not, is not mindful of the things of the Spirit, is not mindful of the laws of God, is not abiding by that. And if the devil can get you to leave the law of God and follow after the law of the flesh, then he leads you in a direction of? Now, the easy example we have for this, one we've gone over many times, is Adam and Eve in the garden. She was focused on the things of God. She was focused on the law of God and doing what the law of God said to do, right? So the enemy comes along and tries to get her to become anxious, become not trustworthy of God, become anxious. You could have this. You're not having this right now. You could have this, but you're not because you're mindful of the things of God. He's not saying it that way. But isn't that in the end what he's saying? Now, stop being mindful of the law of God and become mindful of something else. And you'll have this. And so she gives into this and goes after it. He undermines it. You see, the devil got her to leave her foundation to go after something else because she thought she'd be missing out on it. She was mindful of the things of the flesh because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be. As long as I go after the things of my flesh, my flesh does not want to be subject to the law of God. My spirit does. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you are the enemy and you have the opportunity to take us in a direction where we cannot please God, would you do it? Would that not become a focus point? If I can get you to the place where you cannot please God, are you less of a soldier? Are you ineffective? Absolutely. So this is the goal. But God realizes this is the scheme, this is the goal, and what's He given us? He's given us the shoes of peace to help us out with that. So spiritually minded is life and peace, and those who, uh, these are those who can please God. The enemy would not want you in this position. He wants to get you out of that position to be able to please God. So as long as you are in peace, you are a problem for the enemy. As long as you are in a state of peace, as long as you are in God's peace, you are a problem for the enemy. And the enemy must get you out of the area of peace because in the area of peace you can please God. In the area of peace you are mindful of spiritual things. In the area of peace, you trust God. You are not fearful of these things. You are not anxious. He's got to get you out of that place. When problems, look at this. When problems arise, let's take this first thing. How many of y'all had problems that come up? When problems arise, you tell me if this is not right. Possible dubious outcomes will come to mind for your contemplation. Will he not offer you these awful outcomes to the problems that have come your way? The problem comes up and what's your mind do? Oh, this could happen. That's bad. This could happen. Oh, that's even worse. This could happen. Oh, that would be horrible. Right? And I can think about all these possible outcomes and what does it do? It moves me out of the area of peace. It moves me into the area of being anxious, into the area of fear. This is not a good place to be. But the devil says, oh, this is all i got to do. If I can get him off of this, I neutralize him as a, as a force. Well, how about persecutions? When persecutions arise, what, have you, what, what you have done and how you don't deserve this will come to mind. How many times have we been persecuted for something? And the things that come to mind, this is from the enemy. What have you done to deserve this? You haven't done anything. You should not be having this going on. Look at how zealous you've been for the Lord. Look at how much you've been doing for His kingdom. And this is the reward you get? You don't deserve this kind of outcome? You know, I don't deserve this kind of outcome. 
I should not be having this kind of outcome. This is something that knocked Elijah off his, his stand, off his foundation. I don't deserve to have this going on. I've been zealous for God. In fact, I'm the only one around. Probably even Satan, even the guy who suggested that. You're probably the only guy. I am the only guy around. Have you seen anybody else? No one else is up there in the mountain. I'm up there in the mountain defending God. Who's there with me? Nobody. Nobody. Just me. And he's thinking about this. He's got a long trip to get all the way out there. We has this conversation with God. What do you think he's thinking about the whole time? Is he mindful of the things of God? Is he meditating on these things that are good and pure and so forth? No, he's meditating on who, how good he is, who he is, why this shouldn't be happening to him. All the zealous things he's done for God. How lucky God is to have him on his team. I am a star. I should be renegotiating my contract. I should not be having these kind of things going on. When temptations arise, be another area. When temptations arise, I can have problems come up. I can have persecutions come up. And I can have temptations arise. So when temptations arise, what you are missing out on will come to mind. Because here's the temptation. Here it is. There it is. And what comes to mind? Well, if you don't do that, you're going to be missing this. You won't get to enjoy this. You won't have this. Yeah. You won't have that. Everybody else gets to have some. I want to have some of that. And so, you see how it moves me off? Now, here's the one common denominator for all these three things. I was fine before the problem arose. I was fine before the persecution came and I was fine before the temptation came up. I thought where I was was great. But now all of a sudden, I am not satisfied with where I am. Which means, I'm not at peace with where I am anymore. Now, I don't like where I am. I want to be there. I want to be enjoying this. I want to have this over here. And so now I become anxious to get that thing. I become fearful that this thing might come upon me. I become envious. That should be mine. I should have that. This is one of the reasons why we warn you so much about the the media. About the tactics of politicians who are always trying to get class warfare to go. Well, the rich, they should be paying their fair share. That's why I come in and oftentimes have defended the rich. I'm not rich. (laughs) But I'll defend them. Because I know how much of the taxes burden they are paying. I heard one person say, you know, I thought, boy, this is true. I hadn't really thought about this. But if everything was fine in this country, we weren't overspending the way that we are. And everything was, would the rich be paying their fair share? No one would think anything about it. The rich would be paying their fair share, right? But because those in Washington have decided to overspend, now all of a sudden the rich aren't paying their fair share. Who's the problem? It's the spenders, but they don't want you to focus on the spenders. They want you to focus on the rich. And so we put these class envy things in here. We've got the rich and we've got the poor. We're going to side with you guys and the poor. They haven't done a single thing for the poor, but keep the poor poor. And if that doesn't work, then we bring race into the thing. Because we want to separate people of, uh, 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 in that way. And if that doesn't work, then we're going to separate, well, there's men and women. And, you know, no matter what the problem comes in, you know who's the hardest hit in this country? Women and children and minorities. Always. No matter what it is. No matter what it is. It is always women, children, and minorities. It's just a broken record they have. Because you you play on sympathies. And we divide things. Yeah, I'm a woman. That shouldn't be happening. Yeah, I'm a... Children, I'm a minority, I'm a whatever. And we begin to think because they want to separate. They want me to get become envious of this. You know what? Be content with what you got. Be content with where you are and God's leading you on to have some great things. And no one else has to become poor for you to become rich. Amen. No one. God can keep them rich and make you rich too. Amen. <laughs> it's fine. God's got plenty of stuff out there. He didn't say, well, I'll let the hand of... I'll bless whatever it is that you do as long as you're one of the first 100 people to call. But he doesn't do that. As many people as call in the name of the Lord, he'll bless them with the things that they do. So just don't, don't get into that. Don't let the media, don't let the politicians ever get you into a place where you are envious 
You know, they're over there in Washington, and they're, they have, their new kick right now is people who have uh, private jets. They are on people who have private jets because it's a wasteful thing. They're wasting all this money. Washington people, senators, presidents, congressmen, talking about how people who have private jets are wasting money. And they shouldn't have these private jets. Last I checked, the president has three private jets. And they all fly when he goes somewhere. But his private jets are big. Nancy Pelosi requisitions private Air Force jets to go where she wants to go. And if her family wants to go somewhere, she gets them to take them there too. How is that not the same thing? And you know what? The folks in Washington, if they want to fly on a private jet, who pays for it? The taxpayers. If the president of Exxon wants to fly on a private jet, who pays for it? The company does. He doesn't have to increase your taxes in order to pay for his jet. But who's the enemy? See, because they want to get you into envy and strife and division. Don't get it. Don't give into it. Resist every bit of it because it gets you out of the peace of God. Just a way to undermine this peace. Don't let that peace be undermined. Don't matter what color a person is. doesn't matter what sex a person is. It doesn't matter where a person came from, where a person is going, where school they graduated from. In this country, the way it's been designed, anyone can get ahead. Glory be to God for that. Amen. And we should push for everyone to be able to get ahead. Something all these things have in common. When problems arise, when persecutions arise, when temptations arise, I suddenly become dissatisfied with where I am. And I need to have this over here. I become anxious that I might not get it and someone else might get it instead of me. That's wrong. That's becoming worldly. And if you listen to the news media long enough, they will pull you out of the peace of God and put you into something else. You know, we got a hurricane coming up the coast, right? Boy, the way you heard, I haven't listened to them. Have not listened to them. I don't want to hear what they have to say. I'll read a couple of things here and there and find out what's going on. But that's it. I am sure that the news media is telling you that pretty much everybody on the East Coast is going to die. We better evacuate everybody. Just take them all and put them on the West Coast. Because they're all going to die. Every single one of them. We're all going to die. Well, it's the first hurricane, I mean, it's the first hurricane they, they've had to talk about in three years. That's going to, has any chance of affecting the United States. I mean, that's a long time to go. That's a whole lot of penned up <laughs> media attention that I want to, want to put on it. You know what? It is very possible that the hurricane can come ashore somewhere. It is very possible that the, the hurricane could come ashore somewhere. But it's only coming one place. <laughs> it's not coming all over the East Coast. It's going to hit one place or another, and it's going to come inland, it's going to dissipate, it's going to come rain and... and Glory to God, we have authority over that sort of stuff. So you don't have to be in fear or worry or be anxious about any of that stuff. Now, the goal is to get me to not be in peace. That's the goal. To get you in a place where you are not at peace. Through unrest of what's coming. Concern of what is here. And despair of what is in the past. You can't change the past. Don't despair over it. You made mistakes. Oh, well, let's go. Let's pick it up and go. But he gets you to focus on your past long enough. You keep focusing on the past. You keep talking about the past. Oh, I, this went wrong. Oh, somebody chipped me over here. Oh, somebody did this to me over here. Oh, it wasn't great. It wasn't. You keep focusing on the past. You're not going to go anywhere. It's an anchor. Let it go. God said, don't. Paul even said, let it go. The things the past. Let it go. Can't change it. Move on. You made mistakes. All right, let's go. Learn from them. But we get caught up in concern of what's here. Oh, look what's all around me. Look at the economy. Look at the, and we look at all the different things and we get concerned. No, no. Don't need to do it. And then unrest. I don't know what's coming. No, you don't. It's all right. When our mind is caught up with the voice of the flesh, the enemy, etc., what becomes hard to hear? The voice of the Spirit of God. When my mind is so caught up with unrest of what might happen, with concerns of what is here, with despair of what's going on in the past, with envy of what I don't have, 
with resentment toward this group of people because I see them as keeping me from having something I should have. When all that stuff is, is piling up and I hear in all these voices, it's hard for me to hear the voice of God. Now, I'm sure you've all heard earthquake stuff out your ear. You know, I actually, once I heard the earthquake happen, I turned everything off. I didn't want to hear because I knew they were going to just blow it out of proportion. Little tiny 5.8 milli- megahertz, whatever it is. I mean, it's not even much of a thing at all. That whole thing happened, and I was totally unaware that it even went on. Totally missed it. Totally missed it. I'm in the shop, sanding or planing. I don't know which. I, I don't know if I was planing or sanding. I was doing one. So there's noise. I have headphones on to prevent me from any noise, and I got some preacher in my ear, listening to him. And you know, vibrations are common. It just you know, sanders vibrate and planers vibrate and routers they vibrate. And I came on outside. My daughter called me up on the phone. I answered. I said, "Yeah, what's up? Are you okay? Yeah, why?" <laughs> so she's telling me what's going on. Really, we have an earthquake. So I ordered my neighbors. Did we have an earthquake? And my one neighbor came on out. And says, "We sure did. My whole house was shaking. I was so scared." <laughs> I've never felt this, the house shake that much. I mean, I wouldn't even wear anything happen. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, you, you can make so much out of something. You know what? The earthquake came in the past and nothing happened anywhere. All the buildings stood up. All the people survived. All the cars stayed on the road. All the bridges stayed intact. The ocean stayed in where it was supposed to stay. And it was all good. Look at 1 Corinthians 14.33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. That's our God. Our God's not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. If we get into a place and there's confusion and there's fear and there's anxiety, guess who's not the author? God didn't do this. He didn't, he didn't write this book. He didn't write this news report. This is confusion. This is fear. This is anxiety. This is envy. That's not, God didn't write that. I don't need to meditate on it. Turn it off. Get rid of it. Don't need to hear all that sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's no good. It's not helping you out. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So if he's, you find some things and there's, oh, this is peace. Oh, this is good. That's something that God authored. God authored that. Focus on it. So, that's the schemes of the, de- of the devil. Let's take a look at our defense. If we continue with the example of the Roman soldier, put this in your outline, the armor of God has a twofold purpose. If we look at just the example of the Roman soldier, the armor of God would have a twofold pur- purpose. First, to defend the wearer, that'd be us, from the schemes or the weapons of the enemy, right? That's the first purpose of the armor. For the Roman soldier, it was to protect the wearer of uh, whoever put on that armor. It was to keep them alive. Now, the powers that be in the Roman Empire, when they made these, these armors and they, they had these things for them to put on, were they thinking of each individual soldier? Oh, that's, that's for Bill. Bill needs that. No. They, it didn't matter whether they liked the soldier, whether they didn't like the soldier, whether they knew the soldier. It made no difference about that. They made the armor to protect all soldiers because as long as the soldier was protected and alive, he fought. If the soldier died, he don't fight. The only soldiers who can fight the enemy are the ones that are alive. That's it. If you're not alive, you're not fighting. So to defend the wearer from the schemes of the weapons of the enemy. God wants to keep you in a place where you're not neutralized. So the weapons that we're given, the armor that we're given, is to neutralize what the enemy comes against us with to try and put us down. Because he wants to keep us going. But you see, the Roman Empire didn't care about Bill. They just saw Roman soldiers. But God has each one of us in mind. He's concerned with each one of us. So here's the second one. To advance the influence of the kingdom of God. The Roman soldier was to advance the influence of the kingdom of Rome. They wanted to expand and to take over new territories, and conquer new areas and bring in new wealth and different things like that. Well, God wants to defend you, but he also wants you to advance the influence of the kingdom of God. So those are the two purposes of, the, of why we're given this. 
Well, since the goal of the enemy is to get me to follow a path of anxiety and worry and fear and such things like that, what is my defense? The scheme of the enemy here can be seen as an attack on our trust of God in his word. The scheme of the enemy can be seen as an attack on our trust of God and his word. He wants us to not trust God. When I become anxious, what have I done? I'm not trusting God, am I? When I become fearful, I'm not trusting God. When I become envious of what someone else has, I'm not trusting God. It's all a trust issue. The peace of God is to keep us in the area of trust in God. If our peace gets unsettled, we've got to check on the trust area. So to embrace the scheme against me, I have to stop trusting God. In order for the scheme of the enemy to have an effect upon me, I must stop trusting God. What did Eve do? In the garden, she stopped trusting God. Isn't that what she did? Don't you have to say that? Didn't she put trust into the serpent's words instead of the trust in God's words? She changed Just for a little while, she stopped trusting God. She stopped trusting that God had her best interest in mind. Has God really said, now God knows that the day that you eat of it, you will become like him, like God, knowing both good and evil. Oh, so he doesn't have my best interest in mind at all. He, she bought into that. She stopped trusting God. So meditating on the things that build trust will keep the armor on, won't it? I've got to meditate on the things that build trust. Things that build envy. Things that build division. Things that build strife. Things that build anxiety. Things that build fear. These do not put on the armor of God. These do not keep me in the area of trust. They don't keep me in the area of God's peace. They take me out of it. In John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So, in Him we have peace. In the world we have tribulation. The thing is to be in the world and in Him. When the tribulation comes, what do we have? Peace. <laughs> peace. When you see Paul and the tribulation that he faced, what did you always want with Paul? He's peaceful. He's at peace. He's not worried, fretful, anxious. They kill him. He still he goes right back into the city. That's a man of peace. In Luke chapter 1, verse 79, this is the prophecy that was given. Verse 67 tells us that Zacharias is Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied this. Verse 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Prophesying over Jesus in the ministry there. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The shoes of peace. Our feet are to be guided in the way of peace. In Matthew 10, verse 5, not only is peace our defense, it's also our weapon. Then 12, Jesus sent, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preaching, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. For a worker is worthy of his food. Now look at verse 11. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Whose peace is it? 
ours. Where'd you get it from? You have the peace of God in you. And he says, that peace that you've got on the inside of you, you let it be upon that house. But if they're not worthy, pull it back. Don't let your peace be upon that house. So how many of you ask the question, what makes it worthy? I mean, how do I know if the house is worthy or not? In Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Doesn't sound like a real good situation, does it? Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. Isn't that the same thing the other one was? And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. So what makes it worthy? If a son of peace is there. If a son of peace is in the house, then when your peace is put out, your peace will stay upon the house. And you can go on. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. So what would make a son of peace? One who's not anxious, fearful, envious, jealous, all those other things. One who meditates upon good things. One basically who trusts God. One who trusts God. You got people who don't trust God. And you can send your peace out into that house, and what happens to that house? There's no peace coming on that house. Why? Because they don't trust God. They can't hang on to it. I mean, they, they, they don't hold on to it at all. One thing about the Roman soldiers, you know, they had laces on those, those sandals. They had a lot of laces on those sandals. And they would lace these things up. You know, when we were runners, they would develop all facets of the running shoe. They developed the type of, of uh, rubber that would be at the bottom to try and get a material that would not wear out. They developed what kind of traction, what kind of tread would be put upon that rubber. When I was in college, there was this guy I, I knew. His name was Bill. And he began selling the shoe. I'd never heard of the shoe before. The shoe was called, you ready for this? New Balance. Brand new shoe in the market. Never had been out. And he had the first pair. And he was selling them at the, at the school. And they, you flipped it over and you looked at the bottom of these things. And it was the most, it was the weirdest shoe bottom I had ever seen. They had the new, the latest and greatest rubber for the bottom. But all that was on the bottom. All that was there. Nothing else. No fancy wavy things or anything like that. All that they put on there was these round circles. They're about three-eighths of an inch in diameter. Smaller than a half inch, bigger than a quarter inch. Three-eighths of an inch. Just helping you out there. <laughs> and they were just littered there. All over the bottom were these... Nothing, nothing special. I'm looking at it and saying, what in the world? What's this supposed to do? Because, you know, we're used to wavy stuff and suction cups and all sorts of stuff they put in the bottom. They tried out different things. And, but, you know, it's my buddy. You know, he's selling them. I bought a pair of these New Balance shoes to try them out. And so we ran around all those cross country guys were running around these things trying them out. And we got to the point where it was winter. And we ran out on these things and up in the New York area where we're at, uh, we had some good winters as far as snow and rain and ice. And I found out something fascinating about these shoes. They gripped like nobody's business. They would grab hold of anything. And very quickly, these shoes became my snowshoes. Whenever the weather was bad, these are the ones I put on. I cannot find that traction, that, that bottom anywhere. New Balance doesn't make it anymore. It's a shame because it was absolutely outstanding. It just didn't look all that impressive. But boy, did it work. So they developed the bottom. They developed the stuff that you put in the, in the middle. They used to have this stuff called EVA, and then they moved it over to, oh, I'm sorry, poly, poly, uh, propane or something like that, poly, polypropane I think it was, and then they moved it up to EVA, and then different types of EVA, and then motion control devices, and then, and then they went into the air 
And they put the air soles in there. And other people came up with their copies of the air soles. And then they have a forefront and a back. And then Brooks came out with these ones that have fluid that would move from back to front. As you moved on the, on the course, the fluid would follow. And they developed all these aspects of the things. Uh, uh, Brooks came out with one. They used Gore-Tex. I mean, all familiar with Gore-Tex. They made the shoe out of Gore-Tex to keep your feet dry. But there was one aspect of it that they did not develop for years. It remained the exact same thing on every shoe. It was the laces. Nobody developed the laces. You always laced up a shoe exactly the same way. You tied the shoe exactly the same way. No one, changed, no one thought of changing it until one day somebody came up with why don't we mess with the laces? And so they started moving the eye holes. And they put one out and one in. And one out and one in. And if you just looked at them, and have you ever had a pair of shoes, and up at the top, they'd have two that are real close together. And you try, if you try and finish off your laces, you wonder, which one do I feed it through? I don't know which one to feed it through. Do I do this one? This one's further back. I don't understand. And there was no instructions. They just came on out there with it. But if you read the manuals on it, you found out if you change the way you lace it, if you skip this hole, if you have this problem with your feet, skip this hole. And I, I had that problem with, a, with something my foot, so I skipped that hole. Wow, did that ever help out? Yeah, it was good. And up at the top, if you ever see those shoes and they got the double hole at the top, they're, they're real close together. But one is where it should be and the other one's further back. And you wonder, why is it there? I can't put one there. It's simply because you're supposed to go in there and you make a loop. And you go to the other side and you make another loop. And then you drive the final time you put that lace through, you put it through the loop. It's called a butterfly. It's called a butterfly lace. And what it does, it distributes the pressure. Instead of all the pressure being up at the top, it distributes it amongst a wider range area. If you've ever done it, you find out it's a whole lot more comfortable. I've always done my shoes in a butterfly from that point on. My sneakers. Always done them in a butterfly from that point on. Never, because I was, it was superior. So finally, they came up with the idea of laces because there are better ways to hold on your shoe so that the pressure is not on your feet. But your shoe is still being held on. There's a way to have the peace of God stay on better. There's a way to, in effect, work with the laces and get it so that it attaches if the peace of God does not stay on that household, it comes back on you. In other words, it can stay on. People who walk around with shoes that are untied, I don't understand it. I do not understand it. There is absolutely no purpose for having a shoe untied. I know people do it all the time. They're comfortable and they like it. I don't. My shoes are always, they're not just tied. They are tied tight. They are double knotted. Every single time I put my shoe on, I put the butterfly part at the top, I tie them tight and I double knot it. They go on in the morning, they come off at night. I do not need my shoelaces untied. I, do, I want them on. Because when my feet, when they're tight, they feel good. When they're loose, I don't like them. You lose all benefit of the shoe if it's loose. Everything they ever factored into that shoe to build in, to make that shoe work, is lost if it is not tied on tight. Every bit of it. The peace of God is given but it needs to stay. There are people out there, the Word of God says here, that they are not sons of peace. And the peace of God won't stay on them. How many of you, ever, how many of you have friends, you know, people outside this church? And you go over to their house and they're always complaining. They're griping. They're telling you the things that they meditate on and they're not things of peace. They're things of envy, strife, division, fear, they meditate on these things. And you could come on in there and they might say, Oh, I like it so much when you come. I just feel so peaceful. They might even use those words. And then you leave. What happens to the peace? It leaves with you. You know why? They have nothing to hang on to it with. They have nothing. Peace is a weapon. The devil don't like it when you come into one of his unrest homes and bring that stinking peace of God in with you. Because here's this nice unrest home filled with turmoil, deceit, fear, distrust. And here you come, waltzing on in, and you're just at peace. And that person says, 
Wow. It feels so good to be around you. There's just a peace that's around you. you. When you come into the house, you kind of bring that peace in there with you. Oh, I like, can you come over more often? But as soon as you leave, your peace leaves. Your peace is a weapon because it awakes people that are not in the peace of God, that it's out there. But if you get caught up into their fear and anxiety and murmuring and complaining and envy and strife and division and etc., etc., then the peace that you came in with, you may not leave with. You may have to go back and say, Father God, I need to start meditating on these things. I let them go. I let the enemy get in and begin, get, bring me into a place of fear and turmoil and all this sort of stuff. I don't need to have that going on. Don't let it go on like that. Your peace that you have is a weapon. Now, Hebrews 11, chapter, verse 31. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies. <laughs> Do you see that? How did Rahab receive the spies with peace? You see, they were sent out two by two and it says, peace is going with you. If you're peace, put her on that house. If they're a son of peace, it'll stay. If not, it'll come back on you. Rahab was a son of peace. And the peace that the spies brought with them stayed on that house. What did that mean? That meant when everyone else around her fell, what happened to her? When God knocked down the wall, what happened to her house that was on the wall? It stayed up. God says, all right, I was going to knock the whole thing down, but now I'll keep your section up. And so her house, and they, they told her, tie this... Uh, this, what was it, red scarlet cloth cord? Put it on outside. If you don't put this outside the window, we're not responsible. I'll put it there. I'll have it there. So the peace that they brought with them, they put upon them. But no one else accepted it. So what did she do? She had to do something to become a son of peace. What did she do that kept the peace there? She trusted God. She said, I'm, you're God that you serve. We've been fearful of you guys coming. I knew he was coming. He's God. He's God. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. I'll trust him. She is living in the enemy territory. Everybody there wants to kill these spies. She brings them in and protects them. Why? I'm going to trust your God over the king over this city, over the people of this city. I'm going to trust you. So because of that trust, the peace of that came with them, stayed. If you can get people who are in turmoil, who are in fear, who are in all those other things, if you can get them, because she probably was not in that place before, but the spies got her to accept and to trust. And because of it, the peace stayed with the house and didn't go anywhere. Romans 16, verse 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. <laughs> You think he's got in mind the Roman soldiers' war shoes? Those special track shoes with the metal spikes <laughs> coming out? Probably not real comfortable, but boy, they were effective. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The peace of God that resides in you crushes the enemy. He needs to get you in place of fear. Because as long as you're not fearful, he can't do anything. He needs you to get you in a place of anxiety and worry. Because as long as you don't accept that, he can't do anything. Job, the thing out of his mouth was, the thing that I feared came upon me. He got fear in there which got him out of peace. He obviously wasn't in peace. He's making sacrifices every day just in case somebody did something wrong. That's not a man of peace. He got him out of peace. He's a man of God, but he wasn't a man of peace. Trust in him. Let's take a look at some examples. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we're not going to go there. That's just there for you to go in there and look at it. Story you should know. Elisha is in the city and the king, the enemy, is all upset because uh, every time they lay a plot, every time they lay a trap, it doesn't work. You know, roadrunner, roadrunner type stuff going on. It just doesn't work. And they keep, the king of Israel keeps getting out of it. Because and, and they calls everybody and says, all right, someone around here is telling the king of Israel what's going on. And they said, oh, no, it's not that way. 
It's not that way at all. What happens is, there's a prophet over there, Elisha. And he's telling the king of Israel what you say in your bedchamber. All right, go get him. So they send this whole army after they get this one prophet. Anybody ever send an army after you? Not yet. Sent a whole army. Surrounded the whole city of Damascus to get one prophet. So much so that the prophet's servant, he's in fear, anxiety, worry. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, we're going to die. And Elisha's like, man, will you relax? But there's an army out there. Will you stop it? I can't believe this army is making you fearful. What's, what's Elisha doing? He's trusting God. He's trusting God. He's just walking in the trust of God. And so he says to God, he says, Father God, open up his eyes so he can see. And his eyes were open and he saw a whole host of angels surrounding the city. Never says whether Elisha saw them. He just knew they were there, I guess. And then all of a sudden he became settled. Wow, look at these angels. I mean, how would you like... like an angel, uh, angel uh, an army of angels, or an army from Damascus. He was at peace, and so he says, "Father God, make them blind." And he walks one down and says, "Hey, who are you looking for? We're looking for Elisha." All right, come on, I'll take you to the guy you want to see. And so they follow Elisha. So Elisha, the guy they want, is leading the entire army. Is this a man of peace? Yeah, come on this way. We're not too much further. And he leads them right into the city of Samaria. Right into the city. And they don't realize they're in the city until all the door, gates close behind them. The army of Israel surrounds them. And then all of a sudden, now they can see. Oh, look where we are. <laughs> and Elisha says, well, feed them and send them on their way. So he, he was certainly a man of peace. Was it a weapon? Sure was. Do you think the enemy was trying to get him to a place of being fear, anxious, doubting, not trusting God? But he didn't give in to it. And qu quite a powerful thing going on there. Israel in the wilderness. Every opportunity they gave in to fear, anxiety, and worry. And the enemy undermined them at all, at all points. They didn't trust God. And so eventually God said, that's it, I'm not taking you in. Then we had a new generation and they're over at Jericho and they're marching around the city for seven days because God said so. And on the seventh day, they're marching seven times around it. And the whole time, the city is casting all sorts of stuff, saying all sorts of stuff. And what did Moses say to the children of Israel? Be quiet. Don't say a thing. How many of you have ever been in a classroom of 30 people and you can't get it quiet? You go to the stadium and they, you know, for a sports thing, and they play the national anthem. What are you supposed to do when the national anthem is being played? Hush! So you've got 45,000 people in the stadium and the national anthem is being played. What do you hear? We couldn't get 45,000 people or even 30 people in the classroom to quiet down. Moses says it is to 2 to 4 million people. Hush. And they all hush. That's pretty good. And they're being jeered. They're being made fun of. That's the best you got walking around the city. You think that's going to take these walls down? I don't think so. How about Paul when he's facing persecution? Isn't he at peace? When he comes to Ephesus and the prophet comes out and takes his belt and says, the man that is bound, that is, uh, uh, where's his belt? And he bounds uh, Paul up, I think, with it, uh, or binds himself up does, to something. He says, so will be the man who owns his belt. Bound. And so then all Ephesus gets all upset. And, and what's Paul do? Oh, man. I didn't realize I was going to die. I didn't realize I was going to... Oh, oh, No, what's he do? He says, will you all stop with the crying and the fussing? I'm prepared to die for God. It's fine. If I die, I die. All I know is God said go. I'm going. Is he at peace? Does the enemy get in there and try and get him to be on a, not at peace? But he stays at peace. He's in the middle of the prison. He and Titus have been beaten. Is he at peace? Absolutely. Peace is a weapon. Peace is a defense. You hang on to the peace of God when you don't become anxious, fearful, fretful, envious, all those other things. When basically you just trust God. Trust God to have your best interest. 
Trust God to have your future down. Trust God to take care of you when you need to be taken care of. Trust God that His Word is true. Trust God that the future is sure. Trust God that we can overcome the past. Just trust God. The devil wants to get you off that platform. And if he can do so, he gets you out of the peace of God. But don't give into it. Don't give into it. Hang on to it. The peace of God is a defense and it's a weapon. Use it against the enemy. Don't let the enemy take it from you. Don't fall into a place where you distrust him. You distrust God. You distrust anything that he says. Always trust what God said. If the enemy comes and says, has God really said? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. That's what I'm going to do. I'm doing just what he said. Don't you really want to go? No, I don't. Don't you just want to say, no, no, no. God said don't go there. I'm not going. But don't you just want to say, no, no. Glory to God. I like it right where I'm at. This is good. This is the good place. We were watching the show. My wife and I was late at night. And, you know, there's not too much that comes on late at night. But they had the show come on. It used to come on a long time ago called Frasier. Anybody ever see the show Frasier? It's kind of funny. And I had some, some fun times. And so he and his brother are in the spa. It's a wonderful spa. They come on out of the spa. They got whatever treatments they did. And, you know, they got treatments that most men would not get or shouldn't get. And so they come on out of the spa. And I didn't see the whole thing. We came in late. There's something that went on before. And then something about the platinum door, the door that was over there. And so all of a sudden they spotted the platinum door. I mean, they were just relaxing, having a good time. And all of a sudden they spotted the platinum door. And somehow they're not supposed to be on the other side of the platinum door. And they are determined that as good as it is over here, this is great. This is wonderful. There's something better over there. And they're not letting us have it. This isn't fair. We should be able to have what's on the other side of that door. And the brother, the, 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 whatever, I don't know what his brother's name is. Niall, there you go. Niall says he comes to the senses for just a moment, just a brief moment. He says, but it's so good. This is, this is relax. Let's just enjoy what we have. This is really great. This is the best thing we've ever been to in a while. Let's just relax and just have a good time and enjoy what's here. And they try to do that for a few minutes and then, no, can't do it. No, i got to see what's on the other side of that door. i got to get to the other side of the door. Whatever's on the other side of the door, this is good. That's better. And they started going for the door and then just then the, the attendant came in. Don't go on the other side of the door. You're not allowed on the other side of that door. And so they obediently came back and waited for a little while. And when he left, he was gone. And so they got to the other side of the door and they went on out the door. And they, oh, to their left, when they got out the door, the door closed behind them. To their left was a dumpster. <laughs> and, there, and, and things in the alley and, and birds and stuff. And they have all this stuff on their face and, you know, the cucumbers in their eyes and all this sort of stuff. They're kind of blinded and they got all this sweet stuff. And then bees showed up. <laughs> Oh, man, they went from a place of just pure bliss and just enjoyment. They're going out there and all because they're not at peace with where they are. (laughs) The devil wants to get us to a place where we are not at peace with where we are. I have to have this. I should have that. I deserve to have this over here. And if he gets you into that place where you are in unrest, and unsatisfied with where you are. He's got you. Paul taught us, he said, I find that whatever state I am in, therein, to be content. Learn to be content. Learn to be at peace. Learn to trust God. If someone else has something that you don't have and you feel like you deserve it, just say, glory to God. Father God, I thank you. That your blessings follow me. That I'll be blessed like brother or sister so-and-so. And I'll receive those things and have those things. And I don't need to be anxious about those things. I can just be at rest. I don't have to see anybody as being my enemy, keeping things from me because I'm not this. I don't have that. And I wasn't this. And No, just be at peace and trust in God. The enemy wants to challenge your trust in his word and in his person. Don't let it happen. That is your armor. That's your Paul puts it as the feet. That's the foundation. If that's the thing he was trying to convey there. That's your foundation. Peace of God, folks. It's our willingness to trust Him. That where I am is just fine. His plans for me are great. And I am pursuing Him. But I'm not going to open myself up to thoughts of anxiety, worry, 
fear, jealousy, envy. Oh, I'm not going to give into that. Father God, I thank you for what I have. I will be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, if I need something, I'll request it of you. And the peace of God passes all understanding. Will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for the peace of God that has been given to us. We walk in the peace of God. It's our armor. It is designed to fight the enemy. The enemy knows this. And he wants to try and undermine it. To get us off of it. To get that peace from being on us. It's going to try and get us to think on things that are anxious. Thoughts of anxiety. Thoughts of fear. Thoughts of, oh, I should have that and I don't. Father, we're not going to do it. We're going to follow the advice of your word. Trust your word. What you said in your word is right. Whatsoever things are pure, true, so forth. Those are the things we're going to think on. Things that are good. Father, we thank you. There is nothing you want to keep us from that's good. You want to bless us with every spiritual blessing, every good thing that you can. And we thank you for it. We trust you. We walk in your peace.